A few years ago, the BBC had a series that they entitled The Happiness Formula. And what it was, it was looking at scientific research in how you could be happy. And the problem they faced was this. It was put by one scientist, by Professor Daniel Kahneman from the University of Princeton. It was that over the last 50 years, standard of living has increased dramatically and happiness has not increased at all across the Western world. And in some cases, it actually has slightly diminished. And after all their research, they found three basic factors that seemed to be common amongst slightly happier people. The first was this, a friendship or relationships. According to happiness research, relationship, friendship, has a far more bigger influence on average happiness than actually the amount of money anyone earns. Uh, the second thing was a meaning in life, either a religious or spiritual meaning or some sort of philosophy of life that's bigger than yourself, that you're living under. Uh, the third thing they found was having some sort of long-term goals, values that you're both working for and that you find bring you joy in the present. Uh, sadly, by the way, if you're a grumpy person, uh, there's not a lot that can be done for you. Despite being a, a professor of positive thinking, Martin Seligam said, you can't take a grouch and make him giggle all the time. So ladies, if you've married a grump, you're lumped with him. I'm terribly sorry. Friendship, relationship, spirituality, religion, long-term values and goals. That's what science has found out about happiness. And God says they're not far too wrong. Because God says in his word, true joy, deep happiness, is found in relationship. It's found in a permanent relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. True joy is found in religion. The true religion of calling the creator of the universe your father who is for you and knows you intimately. And the true joy is found in having long-term values and goals of knowing that when you're living through all the troubles of this life that we face, that there's a perfect world to come where there'll be no more sadness or sickness or sin or death. That is the joy you were created for this morning. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, that is the joy you were created for this morning. And that's the joy that Jesus is talking about in our passage in John chapter 16. We've come to the last bit of teaching that Jesus has for his disciples the night before his death. In chapter 17, he begins to pray for them. If you remember, he's been briefing them about how they're going to live doing mission Christianity to the world after he has returned to his Father in heaven. And a bit like, you know, your, your Friday afternoon lesson, if you're a teacher, you know, the dreaded Friday afternoon lesson. Things aren't going too well, it appears. Have a look down at verse 16 of our reading. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Now this, some of his disciples said to one another, well, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me, and because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, well, what does he mean by a little while? And we don't understand what he's saying. <laughs> do you do that? You know, sort of talk around the subject, maybe quite close to the person you'd really like to ask her about it, but you're too embarrassed, hoping they'll overhear you. Well, Jesus does overhear, and look what he says in verse 19. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, 
Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? And you can imagine all this vigorous, vigorous nodding going on amongst the disciples. Yes, Jesus, that's what we'd like to know about. And Jesus uses their question to teach them that the events of the next three days are going to give them a permanent joy. So here's the first thing he teaches them, that Christian joy is permanent. It's permanent. Look at verse 20. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. The very next day, Good Friday, Jesus was going to be crucified. The Son of God was going to stretch out his arms and allow himself to be nailed to a cross. He was going to let that happen, and it was going to be done by the very people he created, who he even gave breath to and strength to drive the nails into his wrists and his feet. He was going to let a world that rejected him have the pleasure of executing him. And these first followers, people who who thought they'd found God's promised king, the Messiah, they're going to be devastated. They've left everything to follow this man. They've invested all their hope for the future in him. This was their great leader, hanging helpless on a cross. They didn't just uh, suffer the, the grief of losing a friend. This was the grief of shattered dreams. But on the Sunday, all that changed. Because Jesus was alive again, resurrected from the dead. He'd conquered sin and death. He'd made it possible for people to be forgiven for the way that they treated God and the way that they treated each other. For rejecting God and for not loving one another. And so we can read John 20 that we're going to read on Easter Sunday. John 20 verse 20, and it tells us the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The agony of Jesus' death is necessary so that they can have the joy of seeing his victory in the resurrection. And Jesus gives them a, a great illustration in verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now, I've been to her five births, and they hurt. And I wasn't even the one having the baby. Childbirth is painful. Though, though one mother at school, the school I taught at, quite a posh school, did say to Boo, Oh, darling, have the epidural as soon as possible. I did the telegraph crossword while I was giving birth to Harry. But uh, if you go for the traditional feel the pain experience the curse method of childbirth, it hurts. But but when I was holding that that beautiful little alien in my arms that had just come out of my wife, I soon forgot all the pain that Boo had been through. (laughs) And apparently women do the same. Apparently there's some sort of hormone that helps women forget the pain of, of childbirth. And so Jesus says to his disciples, verse 22, so with you, Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. They're going to witness him die, but joy is going to be the final result, and no one will take away their joy. Do you long for permanent joy in your life? You know, a deep certainty every day that you are absolutely loved, whatever you do. An unshakable assurance that the future is going to bring you good things. Well, that is the nature of Christian joy. Do you see that at the end of verse 22? 
no one will take away your joy. No one can take away a Christian's joy. You you, did hear that this morning. If you're a Christian, no one can take away your joy. Because your joy does not depend on you. It doesn't depend on how you feel. It doesn't depend on the nature of your investments. It doesn't depend on how you're treated at work. It doesn't depend on how you're treated at home. It doesn't depend on your physical health, and it doesn't depend upon your mental health. I'm not saying that you should feel happy-go-lucky with a, a spring in your step every day, but your deep, certain joy depends on the fact that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again for you. Your joy depends on a cross that is driven into history and an empty tomb that speaks of life after death as a certainty. Your joy depends on unchangeable events, things that cannot be reversed, things that cannot be erased. There's no rewind button on God's plan of salvation. God has demonstrated his love for you. Jesus died. God has demonstrated that death is not the end for you. Jesus rose. Your joy cannot be taken from you. And if you're not yet a Christian here this morning, well, well, the place to start with what Christians believe is with the events of the life of Jesus 2,000 years ago, with his death and resurrection. Looking, looking into Christianity is, in the end, looking into Jesus. That's why we'd love you to come along to the Easter experience, to, to see some of that Easter story of how Jesus died and rose, and to see why joy is found there. You know, I'm Welsh, so I can't help it. But every time I go around the Easter experience and we come to Mary Magdalene weeping outside the tomb of Jesus, I weep with her too. It's a precious thing to come to and to bring someone to. It's why we'd love to see you at our Easter services. It's why we'd love to see you after Easter on our our four-week course looking into the life of Jesus in Luke's gospel because that is where joy is. Joy is anchored for the Christian in what Jesus has done. It's actually when we look to ourselves, isn't it? When we get absorbed in the circumstances of our lives, when when the, the pain overwhelms us, that our joy gets lost. But it's when we look to the Lord Jesus, when we look to how we've been loved, and when we look to the certainty of the future, we know that our joy cannot be taken from us. Christian joy is permanent. But where does that joy come in in experiencing that day by day? Well, here's the second thing. Christian joy is complete in knowing Jesus' Father. And for those who love the apostrophe, you can insert your own on the heading behind me. Christian joy is complete in knowing Jesus' Father. Look, look at verse 23 with me. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. When Jesus is talking about in that day, he's talking about the time period between his resurrection and return to his Father in heaven and the day he will return to judge the world. So they're the days that we live in. That's why these verses are relevant to everyone. The time we live in is that day. And the Father is referred to constantly in verses 23 to 28. He is the one 
through having a relationship with him that we experience joy day by day. He's mentioned in verse 23, verse 25, 26, 27, and 28. Now, if I said to you, what, what does the perfect relationship look like? You know, what, if you, you find him or her, what, what are they like? Well, I guess it would be someone who, who listens to you, even while they're watching sport. We were at my sister-in-law's yesterday, and Boo said to Liz, don't bother speaking, he's in rugby-watching mode. And I was, I was like this, doesn't matter what you say, can't hear a word you're saying. Okay? Someone who listens to you, even while you're watching sport, it would be someone who opens up to you, someone who, who loves you, whatever you do, someone who loves you despite all your issues, all your mistakes. Well, that is the nature of God our Father. Jesus says in chapter 16, verse 23, Ask, and you'll receive. Very truly, you'll receive. He will give you whatever you ask in my name. You see, our Father in heaven is the one who listens to us. He gives us what we, we ask of him in Jesus' name. Now, we've seen with this already, uh, in the last couple of weeks, asking in Jesus' name is not some sort of abracadabra of prayer. I don't think anyone here is naive enough to think that oh, I can ask for a Ferrari in Jesus' name. There, there are sort of pagan religions. Sometimes they, they parade as Christianity who, who claim that, but that's not what he's saying. To ask in Jesus' name is, is to ask in line with the character of Jesus, to ask to be as loving as Jesus, to be compassionate like Jesus, to ask others to help then follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not to get anything. I mean, I'm a dad. I'm a father. If I'd given my kids everything that they had asked, it would have been a disaster. My, my lads would have had some pretty sharp knives at quite a young age and some real guns. There'd be at least two ponies living in our garden. I did, I did do the guinea pigs, yeah, which were going to be loved and cleaned out every day, yeah, by me after about a fortnight. Okay, but we don't give our kids everything they ask because actually we recognize that a lot of the time we know better. And that's the same with our Father in heaven. But, but I guess what we find hard is when we ask our Father for things that, that feel so good, so right to us, a loved one who's, who's ill, um, a child who, who hasn't yet come to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and to be honest with you, I, I, I'm not sure I understand fully God's purposes in those things, why some people die young, why, why some people don't come to Christ. But, but I do know that our loving Heavenly Father is for us. The cross teaches me that. And I do know that he, he understands what he's doing in the world better than I do. And I do know I, I can trust him, therefore, even if I, I don't always understand the way he answers my prayers. And some people today will have had a terrible experience of a father or, or a father who let them down. And it's vital that you hear that, that our Father in Heaven is the perfect Father. Look at verse 24 with me. Jesus says, Until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, the disciples didn't have to ask God for things while Jesus was around because he was standing beside them. They, they could ask him there and then. But now they're to go to a Father in heaven who wants to give them things that will give them complete joy day by day. Now, now that's what a relationship's about, isn't it? Talking. Asking, communicating. But, but it's also about listening and receiving. Uh, to know someone, we need to know what they're like. And, and God the Father lets us know him. Look at verse 25. 
Jesus says, though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. Hey, the disciples, they're not going to be confused or, or clueless about God the Father. Well, when Jesus has gone, we've seen the Spirit is going to come and he's going to teach them and they're going to write the word that we might intimately know this Father, personally. Do you know that about God? Did you know that God wants you to know him personally? To, to know his character? To know what he's done for you? That, that he loves to, to speak plainly to you about, about who he is through his word. God's not like an, an average man who can't even find his feelings and needs to go to Betisacoid in Wales. See what I did there? To find his feelings. No, God all the time pours out his heart to his people through his word. He, he sends his son so that we can know him. That, that is his love for us. And so Jesus says, verse 26, In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. You won't need me as an intermediary, says Jesus. No, the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and believe that I came from God. My, my Father loves you. We sometimes as Christians, I think, can get that wrong about God. We can, we can think that there's sort of God the Father in heaven. He's the slightly grumpy one with us because we've disobeyed him. And then there's God the Son. He's the one who comes and loves us and dies for us. But, but no, the Father loves us. He is the great giving God who sends his most precious Son. When we, when we pray to our Father in heaven, we're praying to the almighty God of the universe who is the one who intimately knows us and wants us to know him intimately. He has his face turned towards his children at all times, wanting to give them good things. This is the relationship that you were created to have complete joy in. Now, do, you, do you see that we need to express this relationship? Look at verse 24 again. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. It's in asking and receiving that your joy becomes complete or fulfilled. You know, so, so often uh, a, joyless, a joyless marriage is, is one where the, where the couple are no longer communicating, no longer talking or listening to one another. No, no longer telling one another that they love each other. You know, if, if someone says in a marriage, oh, you don't need me to tell you I love you, you know I love you. Well, that's a sign actually that things have, have got pretty cold. And it's the same in, in our relationship with God our Father. If we're not asking him and receiving from him and rejoicing in him, if we're presuming upon him, if we're not daily coming to him, is it any wonder we don't feel that joy? If we don't express our relationship with him in tangible communication, is it any wonder that, that our Christian life becomes a bit, bit joyless? We can even come to the Bible and prayer in a, in a joyless way. If it becomes mechanistic rather than us genuinely pouring out our hearts before our Father in heaven, genuinely treating him as, as one who deeply loves us, well, no wonder it can all feel a bit bland and boring and hard work. No, no, Jesus says this complete joy, the joy that cannot be taken from you, is experienced as you pour out your heart to your Father in heaven and he gives you good things, the things that you need. And here's the last thing he says. That, that, that joy, though, doesn't mean life's going to be easy because Christian joy is peace, knowing peace in troubles. 
Now, now the disciples think they've got it. Do you see that in verse 29 to 30? They, they say, oh, yeah, no, we've nailed this now. We can see you're, you're speaking straight. We believe you've come from God. But, but actually, they haven't quite got it. If you read on in John, they're still confused. I think Jesus might be quite heavy on irony in verse 31. Do you now believe? But he also is realistic in his predictions. Verse 32, a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you'll be scattered, each to your own home. You will all leave me, you will leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone, for my Father is with me. You see, when the, when the going gets tough in a couple of chapters in chapter 18, the disciples get going. They, they run away as Jesus is arrested. And Peter, Peter, bold, brash, boasting Peter, Peter, Jesus' best chum, well, we all know, don't we, he denies Jesus three times in the space of one chapter. No, Jesus wants them to be realistic. Following him and having joy does not make life easy. Verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. These things refers to everything he's been saying in chapter 13 through to 16. That the truth that they have a father in heaven through the son. The truth that they need to abide and remain in the Son. The truth that God will pour his spirit into their hearts, that they'll not be left alone. That he will be the one who will give them an understanding of everything Jesus has done for them. That truth, that relationship is to give them peace. But that doesn't mean that it's easy. It's peace in troubles. And yet, Jesus has overcome. Yeah, there are troubles in the Christian life, aren't they, simply from being a Christian. If you say, oh, you know, I follow Jesus, you can say, I can go to church, that's slightly weird. You can say, I believe in God, that's slightly weird. But if you say, I follow Jesus, well, people give you a hard time. Maybe you have to stand at, take a stand at work for, for doing the right thing. It could even be that costs you your job. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family, and they think, well, were we not good enough for you? Well, what do you mean that, that you need forgiveness, and, and we need forgiveness too? No, no, there can be tough times because you're a Christian. And of course, as Christians, we face exactly the same issues the rest of the world does. We face COVID-19. It's not, it's not that we're immune from illness and disease. We face the reality of early death. We face issues of mental health. We, we face all the problems of the world, the sickness and the suffering of living in this fallen, broken world. No, no, life is tough. It is joy in troubles. And yet, what does Jesus say? I have overcome. I've dealt with the world. I've defeated evil once and for all of the cross. I have overcome. I've risen from the dead. Death is no more. And one day I'm going to return and this world will be restored to perfection. I was telling my life group this week about wrestling, um, not, you know, the Olympic sort or WWE or F, good old ITV, 1.30, Saturday afternoon, World of Sport with Dickie Davis, Giant Haystacks and Big Daddy. Hands, hand, just a show of hands, you can remember this. Who's old enough to remember? There we go. We used to, and then we, I reenacted it with my father on the sitting room floor up until the point that I got bigger than him, and then we didn't do it anymore. I don't know why. 
And the thing about this was each week, for those who weren't uh, avid fans, there's a tag team, two wrestlers on each side. John Haystacks would have one beefy guy. John Haystacks the guy with the beard. Big Daddy would have a wimpy guy. And it always went the same, okay? It's tag team, one guy allowed in the ring at any time. John Haystacks and his beefy guy would beat up the wimpy guy on Big Daddy's team until Big Daddy, at the last minute, was tagged in again, and he always won. Every, Big Daddy never lost. Every single week he won. The, the outcome was certain before the bout started. Yeah, there was a, a sort of a reassurance about that in the 1970s. One of the things you could depend upon, Big Daddy winning. Okay? What, 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 what Jesus is saying here is, I've won. I've won. It's not even a question. Yeah, it's not, will Jesus win? I've won. I've smashed sin. I've obliterated death. Yeah, you're going to have a bit of a rough time, a bit like that wimpy guy on Big Daddy's team. You, get, you, you, might, you might, in life, struggle. You might, you might go through a life where you have to battle the misery of mental health issues every single day, clinging to Jesus by your fingertips and knowing that he has you firmly in the grasp of his hand. You might experience death early through disease or Maybe even worse, the, the loss of someone you love early through disease. You are going to have a tough time. But I have overcome the world, and the end is certain, and you are on the winning side. So you can have peace. Not, not because your life is some sort of one glorious, tranquil day after another, but because in the midst of the battle, you know the victory is certain. You know where you're going. You know that your grief will Turn to joy. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But one day you know your grief will turn to joy. And that can't be taken from you because it's nothing to do with you. Because Christ has died and he's risen. And so you have a Father in heaven who's for you. And he wants you to come to him every day and rejoice in the beauty of that relationship. So let me ask you, if you're not a Christian here this morning, where are you going to go with your shattered dreams? Where, where are you going to go with the day that doesn't work? Where, where are you going to go with coronavirus? Where are you going to go in a world out of control? We'd love you to come and have a look at Jesus because he offers you joy, a permanent joy. A joy in knowing his Father in heaven. A joy through the troubles of life. And for those of us who are Christians who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, why not make today the day that you start to enjoy that relationship a bit more? I don't know about you what you're like at praying. I'm pretty useless at praying. Let me uh, reveal to you how I pray. It's, um, it's not very complicated. I write them down. <laughs> It's very hard to not concentrate when you're writing. Yeah, I have a mind that wanders very easily, so I write my prayers down. And I've, I've tried recently to, to write prayers down more about praising God and rejoicing in who he is, to start the day like that. So I'm just going to read you one of my prayers. This is what I prayed on March the 7th, 2020. Uh, that was yesterday. yesterday <laughs> it was yesterday, David, you're right. Okay, and this is the way I start the day. Yeah, and can I recommend to you, if you do nothing else... Find a piece of paper. I don't keep these books, even though they're shiny. I don't, don't keep them for posterity. Never going to be published. I bin them as soon as I finish with them. The purpose of writing is to help me concentrate. I'm going to read you a prayer that I prayed yesterday. 
A sort of prayer that maybe you can pray simply just came from my heart about enjoying God. I've been up since 5.30. I think this prayer was inspired by the Word of God rather than watching the film Abominable, but we'll see how we go. Let me read to you. This is going to be close. This is a closing prayer. Echo it in your own heart if it's uh, good for you as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, all that is most precious and beautiful flows from you, Father, Son, and Spirit, the God who is love. You've made us in your image to be loved and to love one another, to treasure relationship above all else, to serve and not be served, to give and in doing so find receiving, to treasure people above things, to treasure times over time, to treasure a smile over being right, to treasure a heart touched over a goal achieved. Father, your goal, aim, destination for creation is to enjoy you, Father, Son, and Spirit, and be enjoyed by you for all eternity. Please bring me to a point, a place, a state where I treasure relationships, where I love a little as I am loved, where I am tender to those you have given me to love and put in my path, would you work for, for relationships that are centered on you? Would that be my desire, precious Lord Jesus? Would you enable me to, to touch lives with your compassion? Please, would, would each moment, each person be precious? Please, our Father, would each heart be filled with the knowledge of your love? Would my aim, goal, and desire, passion be for them to know you? Would all our planning and praying, would all our preaching be so that people experience, know, feel the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ? And would we be compelled to love others? For his name's sake. Amen.